On today's show, what can the Cavs learn from the Warriors, Devin Booker, and the Miami Heat? I'm gonna, we're going to explain that on a new episode of Locked On Cavs for Monday, May 8th. You are Locked On Cavs, your daily Cleveland Cavaliers podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Price Picks. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code locked on. That's pricepicks.com, but that promo code is locked on. I'm Chris Manning. I'm covering the Cavs from the NBA for, in the NBA for places like SB Nation, Cleveland Magazine, the Just Basketball Show, Forbes, and more. That man over there is Evan Damrell, the founder of independent site Write Down Euclid which covers the entire Cleveland sports scene. Both of us are credentialed in there doing that stuff. As always, we have Jake Stevens producing. I want to thank you for making Lockdown Cavs your first listen every day. Remember, we are free and available wherever you get your podcast and on YouTube, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. We're going to get into our lessons here shortly, but we do need to open up the show with some somber news. Nick Gilbert, the son of Cavs owner, Dan Gilbert uh, died at age 26. We do not know exactly the cause of death. He had a lifelong battle with neurofibromatosis, uh, which, according to the Mayo Clinic, causes non-cancerous tumors to grow on nerve pathways throughout the body. This is obviously a very public health battle Nick went through and his family went through. The last season's calf season was dedicated to Nick with team employees like J.B. Bickerstaff and the PR team wearing bow tie pins. You may have seen both the emblems on the players during warmups. Uh, the, the team, as it has stand, has not announced this yet. Cleveland Mayor Justin Gibb called him a Cleveland legend. Uh, the Detroit Detroit Mayor said something similar, and uh, and his feet obviously with the Gilberts with a just strong connection to Detroit as well as Cleveland. In the Cavs lore, Nick will be the person who was there when the Cavs won the 2011 lottery to get Kyrie Irving. Jumping way up to make that happen. And there again in 2013, when they picked Anthony Bennett, what's not to like is a iconic catchphrase. Regardless of, I think, what you think about the Gilberts and all of that stuff, this is a moment to be empathetic to Dan and, their, and his wife and Nick and Nick's siblings and, and the entire family. Um, we will see, you know, if, if things, more things are said by the team in the coming days, we will update you here and and whatnot, but Nick Gilbert has died at, at age 26. It's, it's hard. And as you had mentioned, um, him saying what's not to like when the Cavs got the first overall pick, which eventually became Kyrie Irving via the Los Angeles Clippers, um, was certainly emblematic of just that p- first post-LeBron era for the Cavs and just kind of what they were embarking and going through in just such unknown and uncharted waters. Um, and yeah, Nick was just kind of a staple at the draft lottery. He was a presence there every step of the way. He was 11 years old when they got the Kyrie Irving pick, and it's it's tragic. Um, 26 is far too young. Um, I, I can't even imagine the pain that the Gilberts are going through. My thoughts and condolences are with them, and Anyone in the Cavaliers organization that was even 
associated or remotely touched or just knows the Gilberts or just specifically Nick in general, like this, this is hard to see. Um, I think it's just tragic when anyone passes, especially someone like Nick who had to deal with a painful illness like neurofibromatosis, which is also incredibly rare as well. And it's hard. Uh, I think obviously reach out to someone if you love and you just check in on them, make sure they're doing okay, because you never know, because time is just so finite and so precious at the end of the day. And I just, yeah, uh, just check in on those you love and obviously keep the Gilberts in your thoughts um, on a human level. Um, this is just really unfortunate. And it's just, it's it wasn't what I was expecting um, when you first texted me that link last night. And I was just like, oh, man that that was that was a bit of a gut punch yeah it's just to, as we're recording this it is 3 47 p.m on sunday may 7th uh there has not been an official you know announcement or anything like that from the, the team or like the gilbert foundation or, or rocket companies the news of nick's death came from a funeral home in or a site in, based out of Michigan, and they, they say to the funeral will be in Michigan. And that, that is what we've seen. We've seen public acknowledgement since then. Mm-hmm. Um, but there has not been like a statement, which is why we have not read it from the Gilberts or anything like that. Evan, yeah. let's go on to our, our lessons. To awkwardly, there's the, no good the, way to transition this is to off say, of that. This is, this is, it's hard to pivot no matter there, what, whether it be there, an ad break or talking about the playoffs. Like there, It's always hard to talk about this stuff. But before we do that, folks, if you are able to find the link that first shared Nick's passing, uh, for $30, you can plant 10 trees in his honor. And I think that's maybe what the Gilberts would like you to do in memory of him. And if you are financially able and feel compelled enough to leave a tribute to Nick Gilbert, that's the best way to go about it. So to, to to transition, okay. Lessons from the playoffs. The, There's here's a lot. The, there there are a lot, but I I I have drilled down three for this episode, Evan, and we're gonna hit the shortest one first because it's the one that I think is just the cleanest to say. Look at how some of these teams, I think particularly the Golden State Warriors and and the Kings against them in round one, and at times Phoenix, but all of these teams that are left have these gears of offense where they're getting into their sets quickly and they're playing with pace and direction. The Warriors are obviously a very high gold standard to that, right? This is the team that has, has a system, that has an ethos, that has star players that build into this. But even like mm-hmm. I'm watching the Lakers-Warriors game on Saturday, you see the Lakers getting into their sets and getting up shots at like 15, 16 seconds. They're not dragging the ball up half court. They're, they're not going against these set set defenses over and over again. They're not making life hard on themselves. You're not seeing LeBron take a single shot in the first half. Well, that, that's a whole other thing. But like, I'm, like I have the, the Philly game up right now. This Philly, which has Joel Embiid, who is like me, sometimes slow, and Harden, who loves to play often slow, they're getting Tobias Harris into a good good position on the block at 16 seconds, and he's getting a shot up at 14. One of the Cavs' biggest weaknesses to me is the fact that they do not play with energy to get across half, half court quickly and don't have just like stuff that makes their offense more dynamic. To me, if I'm watching a through line of these teams, they're all very different stylistically. There is an effort to play just a little bit quicker and have a little more verve that I think Cleveland really could learn from some of these teams. And the Warriors are the example of that. I think with the guards, I think with the, the things you can do, you got it. Like there, there's something to be learned from what has made them so successful for so long. It is interesting to think about uh, just in general, because playoff basketball was always viewed as like, okay, teams play at a slower pace. There's a lot of isolation, a lot of half court sets. And like that seemingly played to Cleveland's strong suit. But as you had noted, whether it's, Golden State or Sacramento is the team I think of most just because they are a young team that was 
getting their first taste of the playoffs in maybe more much more dramatic fashion than the Cavs are dealing with, considering they drew the former the defending champions and um, just the the emotional drama that comes off the court with the Kings making the playoffs for the first time in forever as well. But you do notice it a lot. A lot of teams are playing with a lot of a faster pace, a lot of a greater presence of mind and maybe it's just harder for Cleveland because they play two seven footers on the floor and you're not seeing teams play a lot of that. Like for the Lakers, sure. Jared Vanderbilt's a bigger power forward, but he only played 15 minutes of this game in the last game against golden state. But you see Anthony Davis just thriving as the five. And I think everyone knows at this point, AD's best position is at the five and the Lakers go smaller around him with maybe LeBron playing point or power forward as just a point forward spot. But it's obviously not sustainable either, like during the entirety of the regular season, just because Anthony Davis is oft injured. But if you like look at like mm-hmm. Golden State, um, they start Jermichael Green in this game, but then they go with Draymond at the five. Like, I think the Cavs just need to kind of find ways to go smaller to play with pace and space. I think they lack the personnel currently to do that as well, like just in terms of shooting, just that three point depth in general. But. To your point, and I think the biggest thing about this episode is J.P. Bickerstaff stresses so more often than not that this is a copycat league and teams are taking examples of one another for everything. I think the issue or maybe the question that comes with a big man in the modern NBA in terms of just how everything is predicated on three-point shooting has changed quite a bit just in terms of playmaking or shooting as well. And I think Victor Vembignana is just going to completely flip the script because he's such a unique prospect. But... I, the Cavs can definitely play with a lot more pace, a lot more presence of mind, obviously play with a lot less of a vanilla offensive identity in general, which I think we'll dive more into on just a guy I've been keeping my eyes on, especially after he had like one of the most efficient playoff performances since Michael Jordan. But it's it's certainly telling that like a lot of these teams play a certain way and then they hit that second gear whereas cleveland never just hit that gear even new york hit it and when we were doing the previews with either gavin or alex from locked on knicks they said one of their biggest concerns with the knicks was tom Thibodeau teams historically don't have that second gear for when the playoffs come around but the new york the knicks at least against cleveland found a bit of that second gear and kind of just imposed their will on offense at times against the Cavs too so it's going to be curious to see. Maybe it was the jitters. Maybe it was the fear. Maybe it's them not wanting it enough, as Isaac Okoro and Ricky Rubio said. But regardless, um, the Cavs need to find a bit of just like, okay, we shouldn't burn through all of our energy in the regular season because we're going to need more of it in the postseason, especially when we need to play with pace, space, or even go smaller at times. We'll talk about, I think, the personnel part of this. I think more than just the the big... I think there are things the Cavs' best players could do that would, I think, unlock some things. We'll talk about that. In relation to Devin Booker and Donovan Mitchell coming up here in a second. But first, got to tell you about today's sponsor. And that, of course, is Prize Picks. That's where first time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 to play pick two to five players. And if they go score more or less than their Prize Picks projections, you can win up to 10 times your money on any entry. There's no competing against other people, it is just you versus those projections available. PrizePix offers projections on any sport you watch. This includes the NBA, the NFL, MLB, NHL, and many, many more. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It is that easy, safe, and fast withdrawals from PrizePix, which is great. Currently operational over 30 states and Canada. Download wow. the PrizePix app or go to prizepix.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100. 
with that promo code locked on. If you deposit 100, prize picks will give you 100. If you deposit 50, prize picks will give you 50. Easy to work. Don't forget, enter that promo code locked on at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. Thanks again for making Lockdown Cavs your first listen every day. Every dayers, we're going to be back tomorrow. We're going to start diving into positions, and we're going to start with the point guards, what the group was, what they were not, all that stuff. I want to remind you, too, that you can catch NBA games on SiriusXM with the SXM app. Just search whatever team you're looking for, and that includes the Cavs when they're in season and not eliminated from the playoffs. Evan, let's transition to Devin Booker, because sure, I have come away from this playoffs... And and also I should say talking to to Brennan Clean, who I do the just basketball show with, and, and picking his brain on on book, who he covers mm-hmm. in Phoenix, and Brennan with Lockdown Suns as well. I am insanely high on on Devin Booker. I I think that guy is one if like maybe the second best guard in the league right now, behind Steph Curry. He's that good. This guy is relentless. He is plays with pace. And one of the things that I think has really separated him to me from Mitchell at this stage in their careers is the way he's used and the way he wants to play. Booker wants to come in off angles. He wants to come off of screens. He wants to get these little actions in the middle of the floor where he gets a screen and he uses the screen and he burrows in the lane and he gets a midi. But he's willing to do all the stuff and play with, play with pace. One of the things with Mitchell that I think he could look at with what Booker has done and what the Cavs could look at and say, look, we can get Mitchell coming off of angles from the side and, and darting in and getting him cleaner looks. We can have him do, do little actions where he actually waits for the screen and is patient and then bursts. He's not rushing into things and he gets into these actions quicker. He is the organizer on the floor. He is, he is just kind of connecting everything around him. Like in a series where Kevin Durant is on his team, he is the most mm-hmm. important offensive player for Phoenix, and it's not close. And the way he plays, the way they use him, to me, is the template for this kind of two-guard. I understand some of this is how he wants to play, and there's things that way Mitchell wants to play, I think that it's different. I think we saw that in Utah with how he, over time with Quinn Snyder, he ran more pick and roll, ran more stuff like that. But I think there is a way that Booker plays that Mitchell should look at and be like, I could copy this and hit other levels of success. I could make what I'm doing even better by kind of adopting some of these things where he's coming off the screens and being a little more dynamic and not just playing the way Mitchell sometimes does and gets getting bogged down. It, it is certainly interesting just to like watch how the Suns operate. Of course, having Kevin Durant as a co-star for Devin Booker certainly makes life much easier offensively, but the way he just sliced, diced, and chewed apart the Denver Nuggets in um, Game 3 in Phoenix is you're like, okay, they're not the same player, but they do have that same tenacity or offensive motor, and I'm a guy who was a full-on like Devin Booker hater at times I'm just like I I don't get it I think he's an empty calories player I think he's just not all the hype like but watching him in the postseason once Phoenix finally got there and just seeing like okay he has another level to his game he has a certain just desire and like edge to him and you have to admire that but the fact that he like he's so impactful and it's not just scoring and the fact that he was 20-25 from the floor which is still obscene obscene to think about but the fact that he has six rebounds nine assists three steals and sure a lot of that is Maybe vibing off the gravity Kevin Durant has, who also flirted with the triple-double, but maybe the offensive system Phoenix puts in place. And as you noted, how the Suns run certain plays that are set exclusively for Devin Booker. And 
just get him going and he clearly had it going in game three against Denver especially because it was a do or die game for him and I'm not saying Donovan Mitchell doesn't have that for him I think he certainly does he's shown it more often than not during this regular season and he didn't quite have it this postseason for the Cavs but something that is always just kind of stuck with me and as I just like continue to reflect on the season is there were times or instances where Donovan Mitchell's shot wasn't falling in the first half but the Cavs made a concerted effort from a coaching aspect and a personnel aspect to run set plays for Mitchell to get him some easy looks and get him some easy shot opportunities, and allow him to score and get the offensive offense flowing properly. And just, mm-hmm. you know, they can play off him and Garland just having it that night. And they shied away from doing that against New York. And maybe it was the physicality. Maybe the Cavs were just trying to find an answer in general against the Knicks that were just hitting them with hit after hit after hit. But there's certainly a lot of things that the Cavs could not obviously apples to apples apply to what the Suns do with D-Book, but like there's some things they can do just to make life a heck of a lot easier and play off the ebbs and flows of how defenses have to defend a very, very difficult assignment between Mitchell and Garland. The other thing that I think Booker does that I think is maybe some of the fact that he played point guard early in his career and frankly has like been the best point guard on the team because of how Chris Paul has fallen off over time. He is very comfortable like being the guy at times to be the connector. And at times, I think the ball stops with Mitchell and gets really bogged down. I think one of Mitchell's thing, the, 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 one of the, to me, the, the biggest things for him in the playoffs was that stretch where he had the, that game where he had like 13 assists and Garland went off because he was just like, look, like this is my role. I think he has to lean into that kind of more willingly at times. Booker at times will like he plays, he's willingly like playing off of KD. Like I have a set right now where it's like, okay, KD's the lead action. But he swings it back to book. Book can get into a midi. Like there, there are layer. He is like willing to like get himself set up or set up others in the context of making the offense better. Not saying that Mitchell doesn't want to do that, but it's just like a more organic part of Booker's game. He wants to play this way, and it makes the Suns better. And it's like he still goes at it. Like he has hit some great ISO drives in this game. He takes a bunch of threes that are just like off the dribble. He plays the ball in his hands a ton. But it's like this guy like just has like a, 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 a style of how he wants to play offensively that I think does kind of feed into like a bigger empowerment thing. And with Mitchell, mm-hmm. it's like, it's kind of feels like at times the Cavs got really relying on Garland to be that guy for them a lot of the time. And I think the Cavs as a team, if it's a little more Mitchell and you get a little, maybe a little more Garland scoring aggression, I think that would make them better. I think you watch how, like how you have a lead heavy dominant guy like that. It's like, yes, you want him to go ISO. You want him to run pick and roll and score. But I think you need a little more of that gear turned the other way in the way in the way Booker does it for Phoenix. And again, I'm watching him come across half court as I have the highlights up right now to watch myself. And like he dribbles into a step up, a pull up three over Jamal Murray. Fine. Mm-hmm. Good with that shot when you're Devin Booker. He got it up at 17 seconds. He's not waiting until 11 seconds to get into action and, and relying mm-hmm. on a short burst. Like play faster. Your offense will be better if you play with tempo. And that goes hand in hand with the first segment as well. Just the Cavs don't have a tempo they were one their of tempo, if not the their, slowest their team is, in the regular season just, they it was tempo. it is just slow it's like watching kevin love who i want to talk about in the last oh, segment um buddy run, we are gonna so. we we are gonna talk about kevin love and the in the end rebounding and i can't wait i am fired um up. i'm looking up the pace for the playoffs this year um Oh, surprisingly, Cleveland was the third slowest team with Philly being a step slower than them and then Brooklyn being the slowest team overall. But 
the Cavs just have no pace. When you look at a team like the Kings, who were blitzingly fast, you have Golden State, Milwaukee, for what it's worth, played really quickly. And then, like, the Lakers, oh, as Chris had said, have adapted. Um, and then, like, the Suns are right in the middle of things, just at, like, that 9-10 spot, because it's a bit of a toss-up between them and the Heat in terms of pace. So the the Suns, or maybe, like, the obviously the Cavs don't need to play, like, a frenetic, like, blitzkrieg pace every single offensive possession like there's obviously good to have column a column b and slow things down and maybe regulate yourself but as chris said don't get be so slow getting into your sets or maybe don't be so slow in getting across the half court line so that you can just in devin booker's case it maybe was a bit of a heat check but like he was feeling himself clearly at that point he made that three-pointer but also like that's a huge momentum shifter for your team because like that will rattle an opposing defense so quickly because like man we cannot defend this guy and then you just like as i like to call it with lebron like an fu three-pointer like that completely just takes the wind out of the opponent's sails entirely and the Cavs lacked that edge and i think pace and just maybe using donovan mitchell a little bit more creatively uh was a lacking aspect for cleveland Look, I, I think there is something to be said that like you have guards you do want to play a little slower and if you want to trust them to do that, I'm cool with that. But I think at times like you got to have Darius push and I think there's something to be said of like, hey, if you can get Evan Mobley rebounds and go, you got to take advantage of it. Like there's just and Mitchell, if he gets rebound, should just be going. And I'm going to say something positive about Jetty Osmond to wrap this up. One of the pluses of Jetty Osmond and I think Isaac Okoro as well is those guys like to go and like they like to push. And it's like you got to, I think, lean into that more than Cleveland did. I want to remind you, everydayers, thank you for listening to Lockdown Cavs as your first listen every day. Again, we'll be back tomorrow breaking down the point guards and what that position was, including Darius Garland, but also Rubio, Hal uh, Neto. Uh. We'll see what that looks like. All right, we're going to finish up today talking about rebounding. And Evan, I, I'm, this is the last time I'm going to say this because I tweeted this and, and I made the mistake of tweeting and it got people like very mad at me. I'm just going to say it again. Cavs, Cavs, fans, messed up. They, Cavs fans getting sensitive about The Cavs messed up anything. with Kevin Love. The Cavs messed up with Kevin Love. Big time. I'm watching this Heat series and Kevin Love is like providing a matchup problem for Mitchell Robinson in that he's pulling Mitchell Robinson out of the paint even when he doesn't hit threes like he did in game three. He is boxing out. He is contributing assists on outlet passes, classic Kevin Love stuff, and he knows how to play and he knows how to be physical. And you pair that with a game plan from Miami, who do have the best coach in the league, and it the, the coaching advantage in that series has flipped from being a Tibbs advantage in round one against Cleveland to a massive um, advantage the other way, Spo over Tibbs. That has just happened, and that's just the reality of the coaching situations. Kevin Love is like helping him and Bam are just setting a physicality and a tone with the rebound. And Kevin Love had this quote that uh, in a piece from The Athletic that Mike Vorkanov wrote that I'm going to read that has stuck out to me, like, uh, uh, like just beamed into my brain in terms of I just can't stop thinking about it. If you send guys to the glass, if we can actually rebound and get the ball out, then you lose the offensive rebounding for them. And that's been just such a huge luxury for them because they're great at it. I mean, they have their bigs offensively, offensive rebounding in a major way, but then you have guys like Hart who are going in there and getting maybe 10 plus rebounds and four or five offensive rebounds. Any Uh way we can keep them from the offensive glass and it becomes a possession game, we feel like it's a luxury for us. That is the model of what Cleveland like could have done. And like some of this is personnel, like they, their, their bigs were not good enough rebounding and weren't up for it physically. Dean Wade, like just has not worked out as the Kevin Love replacement, but it's just like you watch what Kevin Love's doing and it's like dang, that guy would have, like, I don't think that wins you the series necessarily, but it would have helped you. 
Yeah, it would have helped you a lot. I think more than anything, Donovan Mitchell was the most seasoned player who played on a consistent basis for the Cavs in the playoffs. But you have, sure, Levert and Allen have some experience. Darius Garland had none, though. Isaac Okoro had none, then was relegated to the bench and just completely out of the rotation entirely. Jetty Osmond played for a cup of coffee during the 2018 finals. But other than that, he had no experience whatsoever. And Rubio was ineffective, so like you couldn't go very far with that. And... Danny Green, at least in the regular season, in my eyes, was kind of viewed as like that playoff season vet, a guy with a ton of championship, a wealth of experience just in the postseason, especially in just high intensity moments when it comes to like winning a championship and wasn't able to mesh with the Cavs entirely. And I just think I don't want to say getting rid of Kevin Love took the win out of Cleveland sales, but I think that dynamic certainly surprised the team Um, from an optic standpoint. It's understandable that. The Cavs went to Love and said, we're not going to play you anymore. Reviewing Dean Wade as a feature. Like, that's a huge miss. And just, like, how effective he's been for Miami has to be the thorn, a thorn in the side of um, Cavs fans. Like, he's never going to be a bigger hazard to Cavs fans' wells, well-being than, like, Henry Kissinger. But Kevin Love, just, like, I, I watch a play where he snares a defensive rebound off just out-hustling and out-physicality physicality-ing um, New York, and then he gets a, just a crystal clear, super clean, full-court pass, and I'm thinking, man, the Cavs really could use that offensive wrinkle, especially if they had some guys that were just not seeing the ball go in the basket, like Donovan Mitchell, or even Isaac Okoro, who's great on the fast break, or even Darius Garland, who can be effective on the fast break as well. Like, they could use a little bit of that, a little bit of that rebounding edge. Like, sure, Love isn't giving you, like, mammoth scoring numbers. I don't think that was ever the expectation, but, like, he gives you points, rebounds, assists. I think the defensive miscues can be covered by Bam and Jimmy to an extent. You could certainly have done the same with Isaac and Evan and Jarrett when if on the Cavs side of things to cover some of Love's defensive issues. But it is um, disappointing. They certainly fumbled that situation. I know people will say, like, oh, it was a mutual decision, but I really wish... Like, we were talking about that. Like, if the Cavs had beaten the Knicks, um, that's like a Joe Varden special to, like, sink his teeth into what actually happened in the Cavs heat breakup and, like, drop that for game one of the playoffs or something like that. But it's um, it's very clear the Cavs needed somebody that could be more effective off the bench, and that was a huge thing the Knicks had going against Cleveland in the first round. And just, like, Kevin Love is, like, much more effective and impactful than Dean Wade has been since they relegated love sure wade was dealing with injuries and everything in between but like was a non-factor in the playoffs and forced jb bickerstaff to literally throw everything at the wall and hope something sticked the other the the, the other thing that i think i there's another love quote in this uh this piece from the athletic that he says you know first of all the experience for cleveland was great he's talking about this series i guess but again, the Knicks are a team for that for sure. I think matchups, of course, we got to have every man against them because they just punish teams on the glass with Randall and Mitchell and, and Hart and Shannon Hart, and they just crush teams on the boards. And you have to draw those guys away from the basket. So I think in today's NBA, you need some bigs that can shoot it well. So, so yeah, li- there's, listen, I think I can add, add value to any team. There's just something to me, Evan, in what happened with Kevin Love that I still am just kind of wondering, like, I feel like we don't fully just understand like where things just kind of like soured in that relationship. And maybe it's just as simple as like he wasn't going to play and, and that's it. But I, it feels like this, there's just like a mishandling of it. And I think just with the rebounding part of it, it's like, it's just knowing that that guy had, you had that in your back pocket, something you could try. 
it that like feels like a Bickerstaff thing to me. Like he kept trying Rubio. You couldn't have. You can't tell me he wasn't going to try Kevin Love. Like if Love hadn't played a bunch in the end of the regular season, if it came down mm-hmm. to it, right? Like it, there's something feels like off in the water, and it's just the re- you again. You just watch Kevin Love rebound, and it's like, oh yeah, like you you actually need to to have a lot of this stuff. Yeah, especially just from a spacing component too, and just like he can be that secondary rebounder, especially if Allen is getting worked by Robinson a little bit. At least loves an extra big body you can throw at like Mitchell Robinson or Julius Randle. And the spacing aspect too is just so big on offense because sure, his shot wasn't falling for the Cavs. Maybe a lot of that was the thumb injury at the time. And he's not, like I said, putting up a ton of numbers for the Heat right now, but opposing defenses have to respect Kevin Love on the perimeter because he Uh can't hurt you from there regardless of if the shot is falling or not because it's a gamble like it can go in or cannot and to your point like people like oh Kevin Love would have been a huge defensive liability against the Knicks just in terms of just how good New York is offensively he hasn't hasn't been been. the heat I think credit to Eric Spolstra has found ways to plug and play Kevin Love a lot more effectively because Spolstra is arguably the best coach remaining in the field right now and probably oh, one of the he, best coaches he, in the NBA. He, he, he is the best coach in the NBA. That is the best coach team in the entire NBA. Just the Heat are zombies and Eric Spolster just keeps squeezing blood out of this stone that has been dry for years. And it's so fascinating to watch this unfold. But Spo is like so, so good. And I, I, I just think maybe it's a coaching thing i wonder if jb could find ways to maybe hide kevin's defensive miscues or just like his lack of defensive capabilities and again having another worldly defender like jimmy butler and obviously bam Adebayo alongside love helps quite a bit too but the guys have a lot of defensive freaks on their roster as well i think that's just kind of a lame duck excuse and maybe treating love as the fall guy there and Again, he could give you so much offensively, and if his shot isn't falling, like there's some of the passing and playmaking where he, they can use him as an offensive hub and rely on cutting and things like that and just find ways to make the Knicks uncomfortable because clearly Kevin Love has not been a liability against New York, and he very well could reach the Eastern Conference Finals this year. And boy, oh boy, wouldn't that just be a statement to say, like, listen, um... I I knew my time in Cleveland was done and Kevin Love joined the best situation for him and clearly it's paying off in spades just how this series is going. Just throwing in this game three in that series. Kevin Love doesn't hit a three. Not a particularly great offensive game for him. The Heat, in part because of what him and Bam are doing on the glass and the physicality they're playing with and the way they're they're boxing out and the way that they're they're just providing problems with toughness and scheme. And again, like credit the Spo for all of this in, in large part. The Knicks still had an above average offensive rebounding rate, but the Heat had were the team with the gargantuan offensive rebounding rate. That is because they have these bigs that are doing the thing and in position and just there's a there's a way that they are approaching it. You could have, you would have, like, you would have liked to have that, I think, as as an option. And I think as you go forward, there has, that's got to be a, a roster, I think, consideration with Cleveland is like, how do we kind of shore up this problem? All right, we're going to end there. I want to remind you they can catch NBA games on SiriusXM on the XXM app. I want to thank you again for making us your first listen every day. Every day is back tomorrow, point guard position, all of that fun stuff. Remember, check out Right Down Euclid. Follow Evan on Twitter and Mount Evan. Check out the Marrier. His EP is out. It is wonderful. Go stream that stuff. I can't swear, so I said stuff. And uh, ish. Ish. Talk to y'all on Tuesday. Have a great one.